some people sneaked in. Y'all are sneaky, sneaking in. I stand at the door every Sunday, and I don't see some of the people, you know, walk through the doors as I do in the seats. So that's pretty cool. Hey, uh, my name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm happy to be with you here tonight. And did the kids already? Man, that was quick. Hey, just real quick, just a quick poll. Who had a busy week? Just raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. I had a busy week. And that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, although in most cases for myself it does. Um, It's not the case this week. This week I had a great week, but it was packed. So I want to just, you know, since I have the microphone and as a way of introduction, I just want to share with you uh, my week, my busy week. So yesterday we got to watch uh, opening day over there at City Park for the minor league baseball team, my oldest son, Mason, he plays. And what we learned on Friday was that there are two kids from this church on each team in the minor league. So what does that mean? Right? There are two kids who can be two two, um, carriers of the gospel message on their baseball team. And then it gets even better, right? Because the parents have to be there too. So it's kind of like a mini small group. You know what I'm saying? So we learned that on Friday. We saw it on Saturday, and it was a good time. Walt and Mason's team uh, played against each other. Walt's team won, but uh, I told them next time that's not going to happen. All right. Um, But Thursday, right? Thursday, I was with uh, a few people from this church, and we spent from 9 to about 3 just seeking God's face and direction uh, for this place here at City Church. And that's exactly what we did. We sought God's face and direction. We whiteboarded some stuff. Um, we talked. We, we, like, didn't even eat lunch. Right? Three o'clock rolled around. No lunch. We're just like, God, keep, keep moving us. Right? Keep leading us. Keep revealing things to us. And it was awesome. Then, then I went to a middle school meeting, the first one ever, with Miss Maisha or Miss Stone yeah. over there at the Adventure Center at Walton Summit. It, yeah, clap for that. That was awesome. And we got to share a a quick devotion with uh, the gospel message, but she's doing such a great job over there with those kids, and and the soil there is just so fertile. And she's been telling me that for months. And I finally got to see it this Thursday. Um, SK was there with me. Brandon Hernandez was there with me. It was awesome. We got to talk to some kids and some families who were desperate to get to church. So we needed to find a way. You know what I'm saying? Wednesday, we had small group, and me and Todd, there he is with the nice shirt, we had an amazing conversation um, about some things. And really, our whole small group, we rejoiced over Deb Esposito, our very own. There she is back there with all the tattoos, who testified on Tuesday night at Celebrate Recovery about what the Lord has done and is doing for her. And one thing that that she said that is leading us into our text for today is that she said when people see her now, that used to know her before she was saved, they're like, how did you do it? How did you change so dramatically? How are you such a different person that I barely recognize you? And you know what Deb says? Surrender. Now the, the implication, right, is surrender to the Lord. You can't muster up the strength to change. 
You can't muster up the, the will to desire the, uh, God and the things of God. You can't. Big facts. So you need to surrender. So what we're going to be talking about today, um, as just a quick recap, we've been studying Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And we saw that he's been praying that the Holy Spirit would illuminate his readers' hearts to know God and what he's done for them in Christ Jesus. We need that. Can somebody say amen? Yes. So it was written to them, but for us. For sure, right? So flowing naturally, as we're uh, going to be reading verses, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 today, flowing from that, uh, Paul's sequence of thought appears to be Jesus Christ was dead, but God raised him and exalted him. And you also were dead, but God raised you and has exalted you by his amazing grace by giving us spiritual life with Christ. So Jesus was dead, God raised and exalted him. You too were dead, but God made us alive spiritually and raised us and exalted us with him and in him. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and join me in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. When you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, we're there. Ready. All right. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated, with, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what we just read, that we were once dead, and you cared enough about us, not for any unforeseen merit or anything else, God, but you cared enough about us that you stepped in and initiated giving us new life in Christ. God, it's not something that we could have done ourselves, but we thank you for it and we worship you for it. God, now anything that we do is a response to that. It's empowered by the spirit that you give to us when you bring us back to life. Lord, illuminate your word so that we may understand it and worship you and live a life pleasing to you. Amen. All right, so... In verses 1 through 3, we see that we were spiritually dead by nature. We are, you, me, everybody who has ever existed is spiritually dead by nature. We see that in verses 1 through 3, okay? And really, in verses 1 through 3, it's really a condensed version of Romans chapter 1 through 3. 
right? So if you're, if you're doing some, if you have some time this week, read Romans 1 through 3 and then read verses 1 through 3. Where in Romans 1 through 3 and really here, Paul explains the, ga- the case for uh, guilt and sin first to, uh, to the Gentile readers, then uh, to the Jews, and then to all of mankind. So verse 1, he says, you were dead talking to his Gentile readers. Then in verse 3, the first part, among whom we all, he's adding himself and his Jewish brethren. And then second part of verse 3, he says, like the rest of mankind, all people outside of Christ, everywhere in every society. Paul's diagnosis of you and me and everybody outside of Christ, dead spiritually. But let's define that term. Dead, literally dead dead, or in this case, not able to respond to impulses or perform functions, unable, ineffective, dead, powerless, unresponsive to life-giving influences, opportunities, inoperative to the things of God. Inoperative to the things of God. Dead. We see in this passage in in verses 1 through 3, spiritually dead people follow three things. In the first part of verse 2, they follow the world. The attitudes, the habits, and lifestyles of the culture. Sound familiar? The second part of verse 2, they follow Satan. He lays out the bait, and people follow it, disobeying God. Verse 3, people follow their own sinful desires. Right? And maybe today it might sound something like, follow your heart. Mmm. Watch out. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Follow your heart? That's terrible advice. Terrible advice. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, Paul writes, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Who comes to mind when you read this? When I read it, I was like, Sounds a lot like me. But praise God. We'll get there. So this this biblical diagnosis is related to a few things, right? It's related to trespasses and sins. And you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Right, sin, missing the mark. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's walking in this, right? Everybody has fallen short of, this, of God's glory and missed his mark. Now, there are two types or categories of sin that we need to understand. There are sins of omission, right? Not doing what God has said to do. And, and if I could just be really quick. One that, that we see right now in our day and age is not assembling, forsaking the gathering that we hear or that we read in Hebrews 10. Not gathering. And what we miss is the edification 
in the gathering. Church online is great, but it does not replace the gathering. Here's why. Yeah, God's word takes primacy in our gatherings. So does worshiping. So does, you know, the, the things that you see us do, communion, stuff like that, baptism. But the most edifying part of this, or probably one of the more overly overlooked edifying parts of gathering, is the conversations that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Where they're telling you what God's doing in their life, and, and they're just sharing with you, and you're encouraging them and lifting them up and sharing God's word with them. That's what we don't get online, is that interaction. So when we omit... When we don't do what God is telling us to do, those are sins of omission. The other kind is sins of commission. Committing sin, doing what God has said not to do. Sins of omission, sins of commission. So the spiritually dead people are people, spiritually dead people are children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We see that um, at the end of verse 3. But in Ephesians 5, 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So outside of Christ, you're a child of wrath. You are a son of disobedience. And, and it's saying right here that the wrath of God comes on those people. Outside of Christ, the wrath of God is going to be on them. One commentator writes, God is holy. And he will not sweep sin under the rug. Many think God in the Old Testament was a God of wrath, but the, the, new, or the God in the New Testament is like Mr. Rogers. Wrong. What we have now is a period of patience. The door of mercy is open wide now, and we can come into this grace and be saved. But the coming wrath of God is worse than anything in the Old Testament. Then Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you're not tracking yet, I want to help you with two illustrations. One's going to be good and one's going to be bad. The first one comes from Scripture. That's why it's great. Okay? It's John 11. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been dead for four days, buried. Jesus comes and then in uh, John 11:43 he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus dead, four days, stinking, decaying, raises from the dead, and comes out. We are Lazarus, dead until Jesus initiates this, gives us life, says, Marcus, come out. The second one, and the bad one, Todd and I were talking about this on Wednesday, and what I didn't say was a disclaimer, that I, I like to share this uh, illustration when sharing the gospel but I only like to do it if I can say this disclaimer and I'll get there. The second one is a drowning man. Has anybody ever heard of the drowning man? Like, oh, you just have to ask God, you know, to throw you a buoy or a life jacket or a life preserver, or, you know, a flotation device, right? Because you're drowning. So you have to ask for help. Wrong. You are dead, bottom of the ocean, fish food, unresponsive to the things of God, dead. You're not drowning, you're drowned under the water bit like fish are eating you dead. A dead person cannot ask for help, search for help, or help themselves. That's how dead we are. And friends, our, our spiritual state outside of Christ cannot be any more desperate and hopeless and tragic. 
but God. But God. Brett, does anybody know uh, or ever seen or heard of a Coast Guard rescue swimmer? Uh, all right, I'm seeing some head nods. Coast Guard rescue swimmer, right? They get these really complex, really difficult tasks. They have to perform medical evacuations on people who are stranded in bodies of water, right? And they, they don't get the calls when it's sunny and nice out like this. They get them like at the middle of hurricane season in the middle of the ocean, and it couldn't be any worse. All right, so I was reading one story as I was preparing for this, and one that I found was a story of a Coast Guard rescue swimmer who was called out at the end of hurricane season, huge storm, and he goes out, and there's a crew of 12, right? Their boat is capsized. They're in the ocean. You know, they're on like a, um, one of those, you know, inflatable boats that they keep on side of bigger boats. I'm trying to think of it. I had it before. Yeah, dinghy, lifeboat, right? So they're on this, but they're in the middle of this hurricane. So when waves like crashing all over them, they're getting pushed over the boat and they've already been out there for some time. So helicopter comes and they're hovering, but they send the, uh, the Coast Guard rescue swimmer in there to rescue these people. He gets out of the 12, he gets maybe like four or six, I think. And then the wire frays, right? You put them in the life basket, wire, or wire goes up, retracts them to the helicopter. You load them on the helicopter, basket comes back down, you get another. It's like the claw game. I think we talked about that last week, yeah. But it's really difficult, complex, right? Wind, waves, helicopters, like to stabilize those things, it's not easy. So all this is happening and they're making some progress with the wire phrase. So they have to fly all the way back to base, get another helicopter, because you can't just get a new wire, get another helicopter, fly all the way back to where they were and start rescuing the rest of the, um, the crew. So there are about like eight or so left. They load about three or three more up, and they run out of fuel, right? So now they go back to base, refuel, come back out. Now at this point, the, the last people who are there, they're having a really hard time. They're exhausted from like getting knocked out of the boat and then having to get back in the boat, tread some water, find the boat, get to it, like over and over. So at this point, a few had gone under, they drowned, and they're like sinking. But as a Coast Guard rescue swimmer, what you have to do is triage, right? So I have to save the living, then I have to worry about the dead. If I can rescue them, then I can rescue them. But if I can't, then I can't. The living first. He gets two up. He finds one that hasn't floated too far, gets him up. But there's one who's pretty deep down there. But he's dead. He can't swim, reach out, give him a hand or anything else. Like, he's passed. And it's been a considerable amount of time. Like the rest of the crew on the helicopter, they're like, oh man, Joe's gone. Sorry if anybody's named Joe. Joe's gone. Coast Guard rescue swimmer goes down there, gets Joe, pulls him up, gets him on the basket, gets him onto the aircraft, performs CPR. Joe comes back to life. All 12 rescued. That's what God does for us. We're dead at the bottom of the ocean or whatever body of water you're thinking of, and we are gone. But God goes into the storm, goes in there, grabs us out, puts us in the basket, and breathes life into us. That's what he does. We're not just treading water. We can't ask for help. We can't muster this stuff up. And really what I'm talking about is regeneration. It's an act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life on us. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And... 
talking about regeneration in John 3, 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a very religious man. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Spiritually dead people don't make it into heaven. Being born again sounds like a prerequisite because it is. And you can't initiate this on your own. Dead people don't ask for help. It's an act of God. So in verse 5, again, now all humans are by nature spiritually dead. But by grace, God makes us spiritually alive. First, God makes us alive together with Christ. We see that in verse 5. Then in the first part of verse 6, He raised us up with Christ. Then He sits us with Him in the heavenly places. Here's the next thing we need to understand. The gospel verbally proclaimed is how God chooses to do this. So I have a real issue with statements that contradict that. We have to use our words to verbally proclaim the gospel. We can't suggest anything else. Let's look at two examples of this. Acts 16, 14, talking about Lydia. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord initiated, opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Said. Then Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing in hearing through the word of Christ. We have to proclaim it verbally. The things that we do will never save anybody. Verse 7 answers why God did it. In chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, in raising and exalting Christ, he displays the immeasurable power of his greatness, or greatness of his power, excuse me. The immeasurable greatness of his power is what I was trying to say. Thank you. Um, But in raising and exalting us with Christ and in Christ, he displays the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Think about that. Raises Jesus. Man, that's power. Raises us, people who don't deserve it, could never earn it. Man, that's grace. That's kindness. This is really good news for people who are spiritually dead. And this is, this is an eternal thing. Why is God going to, um, why is he going to, how do we know that he's going to continue to do this? How's he, how do we know that he's going to continue to show his grace and kindness to those who are in Christ Jesus? Because that's what he saved us by. That's why it's not our works. That's why it's not the things that we do or any perceived merit that he saw in eternity past. Then in verses 8 and 10, Paul elaborates on God's grace, right? And and this, again, is just, it's really good news. But there are three foundational words to the good news of Jesus that I want us to understand. The first is salvation. This is deliverance from death, slavery, and wrath described in verses 1 through 3. Salvation, deliverance from death, slavery, and wrath. Then the second is grace, God's undeserved mercy towards mankind. It enlightens minds, change, uh, changes hearts, and draws man to salvation as the direct result of God's will. 
The third is faith, to trust, specifically to trust in God through Christ's death and resurrection, to believe, and not in the sense of a noun like we believe it here in America, but in the verb, like it's active faith, living and active. The only way that anyone is saved is by God's grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. One commentator writes, we must never think of salvation as a kind of transaction between God and us in which he contributes grace and we contribute faith. For we were dead and had to be awakened before we could believe. It is neither your achievement, not your own doing, nor your reward for any of your deeds of religion or philanthropy, not because of works. Since, therefore, there is no room for human merit, there is no room for human boasting either. What are we now? What are we now? Verse 10. We are his workmanship. Workmanship, a thing made, a work. Workmanship, the, uh, his work of art, his masterpiece. We are not saved because of works. We are created in Christ for good works. Martin Luther, on the relationship between faith and works, writes, Faith, however, is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers, and it brings with it the Holy Ghost. Oh, it is a living, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it has already done them and, and is always at the doing of them. These works that God prepared in eternity past for you to do, he's going to see them through, right? Like the creator and the sustainer of the universe has given you new life, has placed the Holy Spirit in you in purpose you for good work. You're his workmanship, his work of art, created for good works in Christ Jesus. So sitting idle is almost like a blatant contradiction. And here's where this gets tense, right? Like if it's not tense enough. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop telling people who are spiritually dead that they're spiritually alive. We need to stop telling people who are spiritually dead that they're spiritually alive because they did something. And this is so troubling here, right? And again, let's, let's add another layer of tension to this. Say this prayer and you'll be saved. Sounds like a work. Come forward and be saved. get another layer in there, right? We're making a, a tension cake. Here's the thing. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses, or, oh man, here we go. Let's go to it. Let's go to it. Let's go to it. I had it. I practiced this like 200 times, but we can't mess it up. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. Uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, and is saved. 
right? So God makes this beat. He makes your heart beat. Faith, he impart, he gives you faith by his grace, right? It's a gift. Both of those are gifts of God according to this passage. And then what happens according to this verse, Romans 10, 9 and 10? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But it's not backwards. You don't confess with your mouth and then believe it in your heart. So here's this is why it's so tense. Because people should pray to receive salvation. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They have to confess that Jesus is Lord. They have to call and ask him to be saved. But they like they have to come forward. But a few months ago, I'm sitting across from this kid. Well, he's a young man. This young man who his family told me that he was saved. I'm sitting across from this young man, and he's like, in the conversation, he, he says something to the effect of, well, I'm not sure that I believe Jesus was resurrected. And I said, well, I don't believe that you're saved then. Because if Jesus just died, he's just a man. But because he was resurrected three days later, he's the son of God, the eternal son of God. If you don't believe in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, you are not saved. You have not been born again. Because faith is a gift from God, not something that we can muster up. Like we, it's not, we say this prayer, you know, that's what we talk about fire insurance. This is what we talk about the transactional like nature that or relationship that we can sometimes develop with God. Come here, do this, and you're saved. It's not baptism. It's not you saying the prayer. It's not any of the coming forward. It's not works. It's by God's grace through faith. Or by, God, by faith, grace through faith. Sorry. Getting a little tongue-tied. But both are a gift, grace and his faith. And, and here's the thing, right, about telling spiritually dead people that they're spiritually alive. You'll know a tree by its fruits. And if I, if I can make this any simpler, their lip should match their life. Right? You, you've been born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. has taken residence in you. God has given you spiritual life to the things of God, God and the people of God for good works, which he purposed in eternity past. The, the creator and sustainer of the universe is doing this. It's not just me. All-powerful. And if your lip doesn't match your life, Right, like if you're consistently inconsistent, have you been born again? And I'm not trying to make people doubt their salvation. I'm trying to make them like consider, because I, I think we don't consider, right? There's somebody sitting in here that says, "Well, I said a prayer a long time ago." So yeah, I'm inconsistent. Yeah, whatever, Marcus. Nobody's perfect, and I'm saying I didn't float in here on a cloud. You can't see my halo because it's not charged. But if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, if you have been born again, then brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is, is that you will be progressively getting better at obeying God and his word, at doing the things of God. Not worse. Not worse. That's not life. That sounds more like death. Jonathan Edwards writes this, 
I'm not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon. I put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet, though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was. Paul closes this passage of Scripture with the same Hebrew idiom for our manner of life, our walk. You see that in, in the, uh, the beginning of verse 2, once you, in which you once walked, and then he ends it the same way, that we should walk in them. This is a Hebrew idiom to describe our manner of life. So formerly we walked in trespasses and sins, following the world, following Satan, following our sinful heart, the desires of it. But God mercifully, graciously, and lovingly gives us new spiritual life. Now we are his workmanship. We walk in good works, good works which God has planned for us in eternity past. That's it. And it's interesting when you read passages like this that how the definition of works has changed. Right? Is it the Ten Commandments or is it the Mosaic Law, which there's over 613 of those? Is it being circumcised? Is it obeying some, uh, some certain food dietary restrictions like we see in Acts 15? Or is it obeying all these sacraments? Is it indulgences? Historically, the word works has changed, but the truth is the same. That we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. This is not something that you can just say and check the box. If God does not initiate this, you are still dead at the bottom of the ocean. You can come to church, you could serve at a church, you could work at a church, and still go to hell. And what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is this. What I'm telling you, if you are here tonight, that God is drawing you. Because that's the question that I get asked the most. How do I know if God's drawing me? Do you have breath in your lungs? Then God is drawing you. Because when this life is over, it's, he's not drawing you anymore. You're either there or you're not. If you have breath in your lungs, God is drawing you. So don't sit idle Tonight, if, if you need to, like, if you're, God is telling you, if you hear God telling you, I need to respond to this, I'm not sure. I'm not going to sell you just so we can baptize you later. If you're not convinced in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, I'm not going to try to push it down your throat. However, I will share it with you, and I will tell you everything that I know. And everybody here that is a believer, they'll do the same thing. We want you to get it but we don't want you to walk out of here with questions and then die sometime if we don't see you again and you perish eternally separated from him. Because that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Terrible. But as I close and as Malachi and, and the team come back up,
the Lord has commanded his disciples to go and make more disciples. The Great Commission statement. We can't omit that. We can't not do that. God has told us to do that. He's purposed us for good works. Like, you heard how, how great my week was. Busy, but great. How God is doing a bunch of different things and not through me. There are people in this church who are on fire for the Lord, and they are impacting their circles of influence for His glory. If you're not a part of that, or if you're not doing that, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Because it's not that He's not moving. It's not that He's not doing great things. That's what He purposed us for. That's what He created us for. Share the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that, that when we were spiritually dead, you initiated life. You gave us new life. You regenerated us, God. You, you caused our hearts to beat that were stopped. God, you are worthy of all devotion, praise, adoration, and anything that we can ascribe to how great and how good you are. Father, if, if there is someone in here who does not know you, pardon your sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. God, I pray that that you would that you would stop that. That you would change that. That you would give them new life. God, because this is only something that you can do. So no matter how hard I try, no matter how much we do for them, only you can give them new life. So I'm praying that Everybody who leaves here tonight has one thing to say, that they encountered the living God.